Hi, friends. It's Ryan. One of the things I enjoy doing the most week after week is helping Sam Chand lead the Sam Chand Leadership Institute. Sam is a leadership guru, and uh, he's just amazing when it comes to practical leadership help and advice. And so every month we pull all of our members of the Sam Chan Leadership Institute together for a live call where Sam teaches and answers questions. We just had one of these calls this morning. Sam taught on relational leadership, on how people need to like you before they'll follow you and just other practical things. Sam always ends his calls with live Q&A that I help him facilitate. So I have pulled the audio from that Q&A part of our coaching call today so that you can get a sneak peek uh, into some of Sam's expertise. I'm excited for you to learn from Sam today. We've had some great questions that came in. If you're not part of the Sam Chan Leadership Institute, you can sign up for a month entirely free. Go over to samchanleadership.com. And this is a 12-month journey. You get books and coaching, and it's just re- really great program to help you take your life and your leadership to a new level. So, all right, I'll see you on the other side. Uh, enjoy this Q&A session with Sam Chand. Hello, and welcome to the Ryan Frank Podcast, helping you think, work, and create like never before. Sam, uh, how do you become relational with your team without becoming too personal with your team? Okay, that's a great question. Because if you become too personal, you can lose relationship equity. Because then you become common. They start trash talking. (laughs) Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, When a senior pastor plays golf, for example, with his or her executive team, I'm making this up just to make a point, this example. And they're on the golf course and they're trash talking each other. You know, they are making fun of each other. They are really going at it and they're crossing boundaries. Maybe on the golf course, it's a tee-ha-ha, funny, 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 laughter, laughter, so good, selfie moment, that's all good. And then later in the afternoon or the next day, you're having a staff meeting. And then whatever happened out on the golf course then seeps into the staff meeting. Because what you, the way you talked on the golf course was different from the staff meeting. So your question is a very valid question. How do you build relationship without getting giving away personal equity. And that is a very, I've given you the principle that that is a very contextualized thing. So this is what I would say to AB. AB, you know in your gut, you're smart. Obviously, you're in the Sam Chan Leadership Institute, so you've got to be smart. Uh, You know on the inside when you're becoming too familiar. The old adage, familiarity breeds contempt is true. You can be friends with somebody without being overly familiar. And here is what I want to help you with AB. All familiarity happens because you as the leader give them permission to become that familiar. And that happens by you being familiar with them and they think they can come back to you at the same level. And I want to give you a second principle. 
what leaders do in moderation, followers do in excess. So if you have a joke at this level, their joke will be at a higher level. If your trash talk is at this level, their trash talk will be more than that. Whatever you do in moderation will be done by excess by the people you lead. So you set the tone, you set the tenor for that, and by the way that you behave toward them, that gives them permission. So AB, be respectful, and then you won't have to worry about becoming too personal. Sam, the next uh, question comes from Jacob. It's in its four or five sentences, so bear with me. Uh, Hi, Dr. Chand. After praying through and casting the vision for a building expansion at our church, we're in the process of doing the preparation and legwork. Any advice or ideas on what we can do or how uh, to develop a building fund or donations? What are better questions I can ask myself and our team uh, when developing a church building fund? Thank you very much, Jacob. Thank you, Jacob. I'll give you two pronged answers. One is, if you are raising money, which is half your annual budget. So let us say your annual budget is 100,000 and you're trying to raise 50,000. You can usually do that yourself. And the principle for that, uh, there are books written on that, there are podcasts on that and so on and so forth. However, if you're gonna raise a a building fund that is at least equal to and greater, maybe two, three times greater than your uh, annual budget on an annual basis, maybe a three-year campaign, maybe a two-year campaign, you will need professional help. So you can get professional help two different ways. One, you can pay for it. And the other one is that you can uh, leverage your relationship equity with a pastor who has a larger church who's been through what you're going through. So if you're going to do uh, a professional campaign raiser, then you will, what I would do then again is call a bunch of pastors who have done capital campaigns and ask them, who have you used? What did they do? How did it work? Then you interview those people and then it comes down to chemistry. However, if you want to start at a lower level, yet as effective, you just call a two, three of your pastor friends who have raised money and ask them if they will help you raise money. So that is, so I think it becomes a matter of exploring what works for you, Jacob. But mm -hmm. congratulations, it's a good day. It will have its ups, downs, challenges, and joyful moments. Enjoy it all. It's all part of the fundraising fun. All right. Our next question, Dr. Chan, is from Abraham. Uh, what is the greatest destroyer of relational equity? And boy, that's a good question. What's the greatest destroyer of relational equity? Mm, Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. You've asked a tough question. I don't know if I can give you one answer to that. I know you're looking for one answer, but I don't think I can give you one answer to that. I think number one, destroyer of relational equity is when you betray confidences. Somebody told you something confidential, they find out, and then it's over. You can apologize, but they'll never trust you at the same level. 
That's one way to, describe, uh, to destroy uh, relationships. I think another way to destroy relationships is when people feel that you are using them to gain ahead. So this is what I would like for you to do on a positive side. Always give credit where credit is due. Uh, a leader, a leader looks either in a mirror or through a window. When they're looking in the mirror, that is when something goes wrong. When something goes wrong, you say, my responsibility. When something goes right, you look out of the window and so say they did it. When you give credit away, you build up relationship. And finally, oh, I could go on and on on this subject, Abraham. You, you opened up a big box here. I'm trying to hold myself back right now. If I was to walk into your organization and meet with people, paid, unpaid, volunteers, staff, really doesn't matter, and start asking them one simple question. How has Abraham helped you to achieve your goals? Not organizational goals, not church goals, not uh, inside the uh, company that you work in. If I was to ask each one individually, not in a group, individually, how has Abraham helped you achieve your goals, your passions, your talents? How has Abraham developed you? The way they would answer that question will tell me if you're making relational deposits in their life or if they feel like it's all about you and not about them. Great question, Abraham. Love for you to think more about this as well. Yes. Our next question comes from Paul. What, is the, what are the average time frames for creating relational leadership? Paul says, if the mission is four years, uh, is one year enough to build a relational equity or is it going to take the entire life of the mission? What about time frame, Dr. Chand? You, uh, there's no time frame. You will never, there's no place like there. Relational uh, leadership is not about a destination, it's a journey. And the way relationships work is up and down, up and down, up and down, up and how you manage the down times and how you celebrate the up times is what keeps relationship going. So if you've got a four-year plan, you say, well, first year I'm going to build relations. That's not how it works. Because you are either gaining equity or losing equity all the time in relationships. Uh, you can have one conversation with somebody in which you add value, 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 and then you can have a difficult conversation with somebody in which you take value, take value, take value away. And it's not that you're taking value away. That's how they feel. It's all about how they feel. They feel valued. They feel devalued. And, and so there's no such thing as there. This is not a destination. You are actually on a journey. It's not like I got this done and now I'm going to do that. So you got to change your paradigm that it is an ongoing process. It's a daily process. Mm -hmm. Carl asks, uh, Sam, how do you address a work environment in which the leader, uh, and he's referring to a regional director, avoids correcting employees who are consistently and purposefully neglecting their responsibilities? This leader will schedule meetings to address it and then cancel, doesn't want to do one-on-one -on -one meetings with the individuals. Um, any advice for Carl, who's trying to figure out how to address this work environment with a leader that just won't confront problems? Every organization has somebody like that. So first of all, you're not alone. The second thing is, is people don't confront issues and people and have difficult conversations 
because of their own issues inside of them. They may be afraid, they might be insecure, they might uh, not have plan B, uh, they may have this uh, people-pleasing syndrome that they have to please everybody. And unless that leader realizes, the regional leader realizes that every time they don't deal with people, they're losing uh, leadership equity themselves. They're not going to do anything about it. In my book, Who's Holding Your Ladder? I talk about when that happens, the people are asking three questions, just like you, Carl, the people are asking three questions. Number one is, does he or she see what I'm seeing and not doing anything about it? Number two, what if they are seeing it, not doing anything about it? Number three, when is somebody going to do something about it? So you're asking all the right questions. Now, the big question for me, for you is, are you in a position to help this person address these situations? I'm not talking about saying to them, hey, listen, you gotta address the situation because if you don't do it, da, 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 da. Not a lecture. Are you in a position? If you're not in a position, then I think, you have to have a different type of conversation. If you are in a position, then you have to have that kind of uh, conversation. If you're not in the position, an informal conversation. If you're in that position, a formal conversation. But what you're dealing with is how we are built. We don't, we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to take risks. We don't have plan B. We are afraid, we're dysfunctional, we're insecure. And all those things are a combination for disaster. But unless this person rises to that level, they will not remain leaders for very long. Tim, uh, our final question comes from Pat. I feel like I've lost my passion. What can I do to get it back? Ah, ah, lost your passion. I've been there. Boy, that's a hard place to be. That is, uh, sun never rises. It's a long, dark night. You feel lost. You still love Jesus, but you feel lost. I wrote, uh, this will sound really crazy, uh, but I wrote a book simply called Who Moved Your Ladder? Who Moved Your Ladder? And that book came after uh, three years of darkness in my life. I was a university president. And about uh, three years before I transitioned to what I do now, I went through three years of night, three years of darkness, three years of searching, three years of working harder, three years of asking the same question. I have lost my passion. Let me, let me say, say it this way. When your joy, J-O-Y, becomes your job, J-O-B, Oh boy, oh boy. So this is what I want you to know. There's nothing wrong with you, number one. Because when you lose passion, that means another passion is igniting within you. Hear me now. If, if you are willing to give the new passion the opportunity to rise. So there are seasons in your life. You're going through a season of your life. I've been through that. Every leader has been through that. How you handle the season will determine your destiny and your next season. 
If you can get a hold of that book, it's Amazon, different places, or just uh, contact Ryan, he'll get it to you. It's simply called Who Moved Your Letter? The first chapter, the title of the first chapter is Godly Discontent. Just not happy, not fulfilled, just lost, just darkness. So don't lose courage. You're going through a great spot. You know why you're going through a great spot? Because the now, Bible said, unless something die, nothing can be born. So you're going through that death time, and God is creating a new passion inside of you. And that book will help you discover that as well. This episode of the Ryan Frank Podcast has ended. But be sure to subscribe for more productivity and life hacks to help you stay on the leading edge. And if you like what you heard, please rate this podcast with five stars. Thanks so much and talk to you next time.